0: This morning's scripture reading will be read uh, from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together as a family here at Seven Oaks. It's the best thing in the world to be a Christian. It's the best thing in the world to be a member of the body of Christ. And we're here this morning to celebrate that reality. If you're visiting with us, we want to thank you for being here. We hope that you will consider making us your church home. We're thankful that you're here. Thankful for you and for your heart and wanting to worship God. To our members who are here every single week, know that we're always thankful for you and for the difference that you make Not only in this congregation, but also in this community. This is truly a remarkable group of New Testament Christians. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Titus the second chapter. If you want to turn there with me, Titus chapter 2. If you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. If you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, Titus chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. Appreciate JT reading that so well for us. I think I already know the answer to this question. But has anyone ever watched It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown? That time of year, isn't it? Maybe you're going to be watching that this week as Halloween is just a little bit away. If you're familiar with the story in It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Linus is waiting for the great pumpkin to appear on the day before halloween he just knows that it's going to appear to the point that he has sally stay up all night with him waiting on it but guess what never appears does it the great pumpkin never shows up charlie brown when the great pumpkin didn't showed up tried to tried to sympathize with linus for just for just a second he told him linus you know it's okay that the great pumpkin didn't show up and that you believed it was going to show up. I've done some crazy things in my life too. To that, Linus responded, what do you mean crazy? Just wait till next year, Charlie Brown. The great pumpkin is going to show up and I'm going to be there to see it. Linus expected the great pumpkin to appear. He expected it to show up. But it never did. As we look at the text in front of us this morning, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul talks about something that has appeared that has made a tremendous difference in our lives. We don't have to stay up all night wondering and waiting whether this is going to appear or not. This is not something that's going to appear one year from today or two years. From today, This is not something where we have to do a lot of good works in order to make this reality appear. No, Paul talks about a reality in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 that has appeared in a specific moment in time and it has made a tremendous difference in our lives. It's transformed us from the inside out. What does Paul say at the beginning of Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11? For the grace of God... Has appeared. When you look at the last word in that sentence. The word appeared. The verb form of that word. Which appears here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Plus the noun form of that verb. Which appears a little bit later in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13. We'll get there in just a few minutes. When you combine those two usages. The verb and the noun. This word appears ten different times in the New Testament. By my count. Nine out of ten of those times, it either refers to the first coming of Jesus, which took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth as a man, or it refers to the second coming of Jesus, which is going to take place at some point in the future. While we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus, the second appearing of Jesus in just a few minutes, I believe here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul uses this phrase to talk about the first coming of Jesus, When Jesus came to earth in the form of a man, what we oftentimes call the incarnation in the person, the life, the ministry and the action of Jesus Christ, the grace of God has appeared and been made available on earth. John agrees with that. In John chapter 1 and verse number 16, he says, for from His fullness we have all received. What is it that we received? Grace upon grace. You go to the very next verse in verse 17, the Bible says that the law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration. Jesus Christ is the ultimate depiction of, Of the grace of our God. Jesus has put a face on grace. That doesn't mean that God wasn't gracious before Jesus came to earth. When you look in Exodus 34 and verse 6, you find the words, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Whenever we talk about this idea, we're not saying that God wasn't gracious before the incarnation. What we are saying is that the incarnation of Jesus is the ultimate depiction, the ultimate demonstration of God's grace. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. When Jesus appeared on Earth 2,000 years ago, the grace of God appeared along with Him. Through the person, the life, the ministry, and the action of Jesus Christ our Lord, the grace of God has appeared. Aren't we thankful? for that? Aren't we thankful for the difference that that is made in our lives? It's appeared. But the question we're asking in this series of lessons is what does it do? We want to understand what grace does. We want to understand how grace works. So when we look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, we understand that in the coming of Jesus, in the first appearance of Jesus, the grace of God has appeared. But what does the grace of God do? How is the grace of God active? In our lives? What does the grace of God have to offer to us? Let's see what Paul has to say in answer to that question. Number one, Paul tells us in chapter 2 and verse 11, something that we said a couple of weeks ago from Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, the fact that grace saves. Look again at verse 11. The Bible says that the grace of God has appeared. Well, we understand that, but what does it do? Paul says it brings salvation. For all people. Reminds me of whenever the El Nino rains deluged upon Southern California. It caused a lot of mudslides to happen. In one particular mudslide, a family's worst nightmare became their reality. As the mudslide happened and it tore through the town. It went through this three person family's house destroyed their house. And as it, as it swept through their home, it carried away their three-month-old baby into the darkness of the night sky. As soon as the parents were able to get back up on their feet, you can imagine what they did. They went out into the city. They were crying out. They were yelling their baby's name, searching through the mud and the mire and the destruction, trying to find him. But they didn't have any luck. It wasn't until the next morning... Whenever a man covered head to toe in mud came to these two young parents carrying a carrier and inside of that carrier was their baby. Sure, the baby was filthy. The baby was absolutely covered in mud. But when the parents saw that their baby was inside of that carrier, they started crying uncontrollably. They cried out in relief and joy that their baby had been found. Even though the baby was filthy, the mother took him into her arms and at a later point was able to clean off all of the mud that had been packed onto his small body. I believe that's a perfect illustration of what the grace of God has done for us how grace saves us and brings salvation to all people in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, at one point in our lives, we were being swept away by the filth of our own sin into the darkness of spiritual death and there wasn't a thing we could do about it. We were absolutely helpless. We were being swept away and there wasn't anything in our power that we could accomplish. But look at Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into the filth and the muck and the mud of this sinful and broken world in order to rescue us, in order to deliver us. Jesus has embraced us. Jesus has cleansed us of all of the mud that we have caked ourselves with and brought us into the arms of our Heavenly Father. What does grace do? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God saves us from our sins. It saves us from ourselves. It saves us from the terrible decisions that we've made. The things that we regret. The things that we look back on and we wish they wouldn't have happened. The grace of God saves us from that. But when you look in verse 11, it's not just about us, is it? Paul doesn't say that the grace of God brings salvation just for the people inside of this room. The grace of God brings salvation for some people, most people, a majority of people. Now Paul says that the grace of God brings salvation for what? All people. Even though not all people are going to choose to receive This great gift of salvation that comes by God's grace. It has been made available to them. The opportunity to be saved by the grace of God has been extended to them. You know what that means? That means it doesn't matter what country you're from, it doesn't matter what color your skin is or what language you speak. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account, what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of possessions you have, car that you drive. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what your family looks like. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. Like we said a few minutes ago, it doesn't matter what kind of sins you've committed The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. If that's the case, it's brought salvation to you, it's brought salvation to me, and it's brought salvation to every single person on the face of this planet today offered that opportunity. So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never been saved by the grace of God, it's time to consider that decision. Even more than that, it's time to make that decision. God is offering to you the gift of salvation by His grace, but you have to be willing to receive it by placing your faith in Him, following Him into the waters of baptism, being baptized for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, if you are a Christian, which I would say is the majority of us in here this morning, if you have been saved by grace, then I want you to consider, how thankful should you be How grateful should we be every single day of our lives for the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Number one, grace saves. Number two, grace trains, according to Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. It doesn't just save us, it trains us. I think that we can all agree on the fact that parents have to teach their children. Parents have to train their children. It's kind of like the four-year-old little boy who was outside with his dad raking leaves one fall afternoon. They looked up in the sky and saw a flock of geese flying in a V formation. So the dad started explaining to his child about what the geese were and and what they were doing, why they were flying in that kind of formation. And the little boy was just in awe. He stood there amazed, watched the flock of geese as they flew off into the horizon. As soon as they disappeared, he asked his dad, What other letters do they know? Well, I think parents have to teach their children, right? Parents have to train and instruct their children. When you look at the beginning, if you have your Bible open, when you look at the beginning of Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, different translations do it differently. The ESV has training. Some translations might say teaching. Some might say instructing. That word encompasses everything that a parent does To raise their children to maturity. That word encapsulates everything that a parent does to raise up their children to be responsible individuals. Parents have to teach, train, and instruct their children on what's right and wrong. What's good and bad. Whenever they step outside of that, parents sometimes have to discipline and rebuke and punish their children for making poor choices. Making poor decisions. In the same way that parents train and teach and instruct their children, Paul says that grace trains, instructs, and teaches us. But what does it teach us to do? What does grace train us to do according to verse number 12? Well, Paul says there are two sides of this conversation. First, grace teaches us, trains us to say no to sin. He says in verse 12, training us to renounce. You put that in plain English, grace teaches us to say no. When we're confronted with sin, whenever we're tempted to do something that's against God's will, grace teaches us to plant our feet in Jesus and to say, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to participate in that. It teaches us to say no to, number one, ungodliness. Grace teaches us to say no to anything that will hinder us from becoming more like God and being better conformed into His image. Grace teaches us to say no also in verse number 12 to worldly passions. So often we have passions or desires in our bodies, in our flesh, in our minds that are contrary to God's will for us. So what does grace teach us to do? Grace teaches us to say no to those passions and lusts. I'm going to fulfill the desires of the Spirit instead of fulfilling the desires of the world and the flesh. Grace teaches us to say no. But then we need to take a step beyond that because being a Christian is not just about what you oppose. Being a Christian is not just about what you refuse to do. Number two, grace trains us to say yes to God's way of living. Can you see that in verse number 12? It trains us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and instead trains us to live self-controlled. Grace teaches us to say yes to controlling the way we think, controlling what we do, controlling the way that we speak. Grace teaches us to say yes in verse 12 to being upright, which means to be a righteous person, to do things that are right as opposed to doing things that are wrong. Grace teaches us to say no to being ungodly and to say yes to living godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us to say yes to becoming more like God and being better conformed into His image. Grace teaches us to do two things. To say no to sin. And when I say no to sin, I'm going to say yes to God's way of living. Is that the way that we're living on a week in and week out basis? Are we allowing grace to train and instruct us to be who God wants us to be? This is not just an academic endeavor. When you think about grace, it's not just something that saves your soul. It's not just something that saves you from spiritual death. But it teaches you to be the kind of person and to be the kind of follower that God wants you to be. Are we allowing that to happen? Allowing grace to teach us to say no to sin and to say yes to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 1, Paul appeals to us. He begs us to not receive the grace of God in vain. I want to suggest to you this morning that if we're happy to receive the salvation that comes from God's grace, but we're not so quick to receive the instruction that comes from God's grace, we might be dangerously close to receiving the grace of God in vain. Receiving the grace of God for nothing. Yes, grace saves us, but it also trains us and instructs us like parents do their children. To be who God wants us to be. Number three, grace in verse 13 sustains us. It doesn't just save us and train us, then leave us at that. Now you're on your own. No, grace sustains us and encourages us to keep going even when life gets difficult. I think I've told a story about this guy before, but I'm going to tell it again. There's a man named John Stephen Akari, now an older man, but in 1986, he was an Olympic marathon runner and actually qualified to run in the 1986 Olympics that were held in Mexico City. Because of the elevation difference between Tanzania, where he's from, and Mexico City, where the race was held, He struggled from the time the race started. Struggling to put one foot in front of the other. It was about midway through the race, about 13 miles in exactly, he got tangled up with some other runners, and because he was so weak, he fell down. He didn't fall gracefully. He scratched himself up, really hurt his shoulder, and popped his knee out of socket. But you know what he did? He got up, and he kept running. It was one hour after the winner finished the marathon, here came John Stephen Akari in dead last, crossing the finish line and finishing the marathon in Mexico City. Giving him a little bit of time to recover, a reporter came up to him and asked him, why did you keep going? It wasn't your race from the very beginning. You fell down and hurt yourself. Why did you keep running? You know what he said? He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race, and that's exactly what I did. Do you think it would have been difficult to run 13 miles with a a knee that's out of place, a shoulder that's badly injured and being all scraped and bruised up? It would be difficult to run 13 miles anyway, wouldn't it? Let alone with all of those things going on. Why did he keep going? What sustained him? What encouraged him to keep putting one foot in front of the other? He had his eyes on the finish line. He didn't come 5,000 miles to start the race. He came 5,000 miles to finish the race. That the thought of the finish line is what kept him going. Grace saves us. It trains us. But it also sustains us. You know, sometimes it's hard to be who God wants you to be, isn't it? You probably know this by experience. Living the Christian life is not always easy. It's not easy to say no to sin. We experience that every day. It's not easy to say yes to God and His standard, His way of living. So how do we keep going? How do we keep putting one foot in front of the other whenever the race gets difficult, whenever we're hurt, whenever we're tired, whenever we're weak? That's what grace does. Grace sustains us as we look forward to the finish line. Here's the way that Paul says it in verse number 13. Notice the first word, waiting. It's kind of like the little boy who was standing at the bottom of the escalator just watching it. He wasn't moving, just watching the escalator very intently. A saleswoman in the mall came up to him and said, Son, are you lost? Do you need some help? He said, No, I'm just waiting for my gum. To come back. Okay, we're waiting for something to come back, aren't we? That's what Paul tells us in this section of Scripture in verse number 13. We are waiting for what? For our blessed hope. Isn't that awesome to know that we have hope? That we have, as we look towards the future, something that we greatly desire, something that we greatly expect, a hope that is not cursed, a hope that's blessed. What is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we do know that it is going to happen. Jesus is going to return. One day, we are going to behold the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're living our lives waiting for. Every single day as we're saved by grace, every single day as we are trained by grace, Grace is sustaining us as we wait in great desire, as we wait in great expectation for our Lord to appear and His glory to be revealed. Grace sustains us. That's how we keep going when life gets hard. That's how we keep going when living the Christian life is not the easiest thing to do. That's how we keep putting one foot in front of the other whenever we get discouraged as followers of Jesus. We have our eyes set on the finish line. This verse teaches us that everything we experience in this world is only temporary. The struggles, the trials, the difficulties we go through, they're not permanent. They're not going to last forever. Jesus Christ is going to return and that is what sustains us. That is what keeps us moving forward despite the difficulty that we face. One day we're going to behold the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we find number 4 in verse number 14, grace motivates us. When you look at verse 14, going back to verse 13, Paul calls Jesus not only our God, but our Savior. What did Jesus have to do in order to be our Savior? Well, He answers that question in verse 14. He gave Himself up for us. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? That's what we celebrated and remembered as we took the Lord's Supper together. Jesus died for us. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to die for us, but that's what He did. Jesus gave Himself up for us. What was the purpose, number one? To redeem us from all lawlessness. We chose to live lawless lives. We chose to live contrary to God's law. What He has revealed in the pages of Scripture. What He expects from every human being. Jesus died to redeem us from that. To buy us back from the slavery that we sold ourselves into. Jesus gave Himself up for us, number two, to purify us. Through the sins that we committed, we stained ourselves deeply. Jesus gave Himself up so that we can be cleansed of all of our guilty stains. To purify, the Bible says, for Himself, a people for His own possession. Because Jesus has died for us and we've been redeemed and purified by Him, we no longer belong to the world We don't belong to our families. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. We've been purchased by His blood. His life is the price that was paid for our possession. That's grace, isn't it? That's something that we haven't earned. It's something we haven't merited. It's something that we don't deserve. Yet Jesus has been willing to do it for us. To die for us so that we can be purified. So that we can be redeemed. And so that we can be possessed by Him and His grace. So how do we respond to that? If you look at the very end of verse number 14. We are to be zealous for good works. When we think about Jesus, and we truly understand everything that He's done for us, how could we not be passionate? How could we not be excited? How could we not be zealous for good works, to do good things as we go out and live our lives on a daily basis? Grace is exciting. Grace is something that motivates us. Yes, it saves us, it trains us, it sustains us, but it motivates us every day that we live to go out and make a difference in this world. To go out and make a difference in this community. It reminds me of a story about the University of Oklahoma's wrestling team. They went to a match at Memphis State. At this time, Memphis State had a hold that they had created that nobody could beat. Once you were put in this hold, You weren't getting out of it. Nobody had ever gotten out of it. So the coach of Oklahoma warned his wrestlers, they're going to try to put you in this hole. Do whatever you can to not be put in it. And if you are put in it, do whatever you can to get out of it. They get to the match. The first five wrestlers for Oklahoma go to the mat. And they're put in the hold and defeated within the matter of just a few minutes, one by one. The last wrestler, the sixth wrestler for Oklahoma was the smallest guy on the wrestling team. He goes out on the mat and in three minutes the Memphis State wrestler had him in that infamous hold. The coach covered his eyes, put his head down, was shaking his head. He he just knew it was over. It was in that moment that he heard a really loud scream. And everybody started applauding. Everybody started cheering. He looked up and his... Wrestler, the smallest one on the team, had gotten out of this infamous hold. He was the first person to ever do that. As soon as the match was over, I think he still ended up losing, but as soon as the match was over, the coach went to his wrestler and asked him, how in the world did you do that? How did you get out of that hold the first time? And the wrestler started to explain. He said, well, coach, it's, it's kind of interesting. When he bent me over and started to put me in the hold... I saw a big toe right in front of my face. And I remember what you said. You said, do whatever it takes to get out of the hole. So I reached forward just a little bit and bit down on that big toe as hard as I could. He said, you know, coach, it's pretty amazing how motivated you can be whenever you almost bite off your own big toe. (laughs) Quite the motivation, I think. When we think about our relationships with God, it's easy to become complacent sometimes, isn't it? It's easy to become indifferent. It's so easy to become lukewarm in our faith. It's so easy. When we think about settings like this one, or when we think about going out and living this week for Jesus, it's so easy for us to think about that as dull or unexciting or something that's just habitual. How do we respond when we find ourselves down in the valley and we're indifferent and complacent? Well, we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We try to motivate ourselves, like the guy who bit his own big toe and got some motivation from that. We try to motivate ourselves when we find ourselves at a spiritual low point. Can I ask you to honestly reflect? Does that ever really last? Have you ever found yourself in a position at the beginning of the week? You said, I'm going to pray every single day this week. Then you get to the end of the week and you prayed like two days. You start with a Bible reading plan in January and you're excited about it. This year I'm finally going to read through the entire Bible. In 365 days, you fast forward two months and where's the Bible reading plan? We try to motivate ourselves and it never really lasts. It's not our job to motivate ourselves. That's what grace does. Grace is what motivates us. When we truly understand Jesus, when we truly understand the grace that has appeared with Him, when we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, how could we not be excited? How could we not be passionate? How could we not go out and be zealous for good works every single day that we live? If you find yourself in that spiritual low point, Maybe you're complacent in your Christianity right now. Maybe you found yourself in a spot where you're indifferent. I want to ask you to seriously reflect upon the grace of God. Allow grace to motivate you. I believe with all my heart that if we're not excited about our Christianity, it's because we don't truly understand what we're talking about in this series of lessons. The great, amazing grace of God that has saved wretches like us. Aren't you thankful that the grace of God has appeared? It's there. It's appeared. But what does it do? Well, in this passage, we find four things that the grace of God does for us. It saves us. If you're not a Christian, it's time to make that decision to be saved by grace. Put your faith in the Lord. Place your trust in Him. Follow Him into the waters of baptism and there allow Him To save your soul. Would you be willing to do that even this morning? Grace trains us. Are you listening? Are you listening to the instruction and the teaching and the training that grace gives? To say no to sin and to say yes to God. Grace sustains us. As you live your life and you encounter difficulties. Are you thinking about the second coming of Jesus? Are you allowing yourself to be sustained and encouraged by the fact that one day Jesus is going to return? Grace motivates us. Are you motivated? Are you excited by the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound? Does the reality of grace in your life motivate you to go out and do good things on a daily basis? Maybe you found some things that you need to work on this week. I know that I have. Let's work on those things together. If we can help you to do that this morning, then we would love that opportunity as together we stand and sing our song of encouragement.
0: All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him In His present daily live I surrender surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me Jesus, take To thee my blessing Savior I surrender all. all to Jesus I surrender Lord I give myself to thee fear. sings for